Thanks, Jonavette. Wasn't that a beautiful song? It wasn't easy, but it was worth it. That's what the Lord Jesus said about dying for you and for me on the cross. It wasn't easy, but it was worth it. And I was thinking about that as she was singing. That same thing could be said of the Christian life also. When we get home to heaven and we finally arrive, we're going to be able to say, it's all behind us now. It wasn't easy. The Christian life is not easy, but it's worth it. It's the best life because the Lord is with us and He's with us daily. He gives us His peace and He gives us His joy. What a beautiful song. wasn't easy, but it was worth it. Thank God for that. You know, we're living in some troublous times. Things are bleak and they're getting bleaker. A lot of people think, well, 2009 is going to be better than 2008. Dave and I were talking about this the other day. But nobody yet has figured out how it is going to get better yet. They're saying, well, it may take longer than that. But we're in a pit and we can't even see over the pit, let alone get out of the pit. And whatever pit we might be in in our lives, whether it's economic, financial, emotional, or whatever pit we're in or whatever trials we're going through, only the Lord can see us through. Only He can take us through this year 2009 victoriously and gloriously as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not long ago, I saw one of the news magazines that had our president-elect on the cover of it, President Obama, and I respect him very much. I'm praying for him. I'm praying that he'll be a great president. But the caption over it was really interesting. Can he fix the world? As much as I respect this man, and as much as a great man he is, and he'll have all the best advisors and all the best counselors and everything, he can't fix the world. Because only Jesus Christ can fix the world. One heart at a time. Only he can fix our lives. Only he can put us back together again. It's like that story, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But I'd like to add, P.S., Jesus can. Jesus can put you back together again. He can take all the scattered pieces of your life, all the broken parts, and put you back better than you were before. That's true salvation in Christ. He can change our lives. He can make us new. If you turn with me this morning to the book of Micah, it's right after Jonah comes the book of Micah. It's a beautiful little book, seven chapters, and we're going to be in the seventh chapter. Micah chapter seven. The title of our message today is Look to Jesus in 2009. Look to Jesus in 2009. I'm first of all going to read the seventh verse and then I'm going to go back and trace what led up to the seventh verse. Micah chapter 7 and verse 7. It's real easy reference to remember. 7, 7. Here the prophet says, Therefore I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. It's an encouraging verse. It's a great verse. But I'd like you to notice what led up to this verse. The context is so important because the context in which he wrote is so much like our days and times today. 
And notice what it says. Woe is me, for I am like those who gather summer fruits, like those who glean vintage grapes. There is no cluster to eat of the first ripe fruit which my soul desires. The faithful man has perished from the earth and there is no upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. Every man hunts his brother with a net that they may successfully do evil with both hands. The prince asks for gifts. The judge seeks a bribe and the great man utters his evil desire. So they scheme together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman and your punishment comes. Now shall be their perplexity. And then he says in verse 5, Do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. For a son dishonors father. Daughter rises against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Jesus quoted that in the gospel. And then he comes to this verse 7 and he says, despite all of that, he says, therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. These words could be written of our times today. We look around us, we see crime, we see violence, we see corruption in politics, ethics, morals, everything just going downhill so fast. And therefore, we say with the prophet, therefore, I will look to the Lord. Because of all these things that are happening, we have to look to Him this year. We don't need to look anywhere else for our source of strength and comfort and help, but Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can help us. Shall we just open in a word of prayer this morning? Father, we pray that you'll take this word, these encouraging words, these challenging words, and apply them to our hearts today. Help us, Lord, to be victorious this year, 2009. May it be a good year for your service, Lord, and for your kingdom. And we just pray that you will humble me, Lord, and hide me behind your cross and speak through the word today that you, by the Holy Spirit, can reach people where they're sitting today. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, we're going to look at three things or three goals for the year 2009. Number one is to look to the Lord with confidence. That's a great goal to have, to look to the Lord with confidence. Number two, to wait for his will with patience. We're studying patience in the scripture memory class. And number three, to pray to God with a sense of urgency and passion. Three goals to have for the year 2009. You know, if you look up the word look, and it's a common word, so we think we don't need to look it up, but it's a great word. Some of the definitions I found for look is to make use of the sense of sight, to direct one's eyes to see, to direct one's attention mentally to something, to try to see or find something to search. And that's the key to the Christian life is to look to the Lord Jesus. We look to Him when we get saved. If you're here today and you haven't looked to Jesus for salvation, you need to do it. Time is running short. We don't know how much time we have left on this earth. Today is the only day, right now, this moment, while we're breathing, that we have to make sure that we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. 
He died for us on the cross. He suffered. He said it wasn't easy. It was worth it. I died for you. And He wants us to willingly accept Him as our one and only Savior and be born again and have eternal life. And it needs to be today. You say, well, I've been thinking about it, but maybe tomorrow. No, today, now is the time. So let's look at our first point this morning. Look to the Lord with confidence. You know, as I listen to the news and the broadcasts and all the things that are happening, there's one thing that stands out in my mind that people do not have today, and that is confidence. They don't have confidence in the economy. They don't have confidence in the government. They don't have confidence in their jobs. They don't have confidence in any of these things. And that's why we as believers don't put our confidence in the things of this world. We put our confidence in Christ because He alone rules the universe and He is with us in all that we go through. There's fear and anxiety. There are difficulties out there. We know that there's bad news. But that's why Micah could say, therefore, I will look to the Lord with confidence. I will look to the Lord. You know, we might say to Micah, if he was here this morning, let's say we could bring him here and he was sitting right there in the front row. And we'd say, but Micah, what newspaper are you reading? Micah, what news broadcasts are you listening to? Haven't you heard about what happens to our for has happening to our 401ks? Haven't you heard about the layoffs at Circuit City and all these places? Haven't you heard about the foreclosures on my street, Lord? Micah would say, yes, I have. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. That's why we need to look to the Lord because no other solution is going to make it for us but to look to Him. Against all odds, against all opposition, against all obtrusions in this world, we look to the Lord. That's why the writer of Hebrews could gloriously say in Hebrews 12:2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, looking unto Jesus. The thing that gets us into problems in life is when we don't focus on the Lord Jesus and we focus on our problems. And the more you focus on the problems, the worse it's going to get. You know, even in prayer, it can be a problem. I read a story yesterday about a man who was in a hotel down in, I believe it was South or Central America, and it was very shaky, the building, and he was worrying all night whether there was going to be a fire in that building and there would be no way out and there was no fire stations nearby. And he's praying, but he's worrying about it. And so he said when he went to sleep, he got up and he didn't sleep much at all during the night. He got up, he felt worse than he did in the morning. Why? Because his prayers were focusing just on the problem, not on Jesus who is the solution. You know, that's the only reason I can put my head on the pillow and sleep at night because he is going to take care of it. I don't know how he's going to do it, Whatever problem it is or difficult it is, I don't know how he's going to lead me through it, but he's going to. And that's what we have to do and we have to focus on that. Psalm 145 and verses 14 to 16 says, The Lord upholds all those who fall and raises up those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Do we look to the Lord today? Do we look to Him in our lives expectantly? Or do we say, well, God may not really care about this thing I'm going through. He does. 
And we should look expectantly to Him because He loves us so much. That's why Paul could tell the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, he said, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Oh, we're fine if we can walk by sight and we can see everything and we can hear everything and we can walk on solid ground, but how about when it's dark and we can't see? How about when we can't hear? How about how are we going to get through it? That's where faith really comes in. And that's why we can rejoice in it. You know, the devil wants to distract us in our Christian walk and get us focusing on the mountains around us, all the problems that we have instead of focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what happened to Peter. Dear brother Peter, he was walking on that water. And I would like to ask him, Peter, what was it like when you were walking on that water? Because nobody ever since has ever walked on water. Peter and the Lord Jesus were the only two that ever walked on the water. And Peter was walking just fine, walking toward the Lord. But then he started looking at the water and he started looking at the waves and the wind was blowing and he started to fear and he started to sink. And he cried out the short, maybe his shortest prayer in the Bible, Lord, save me! And right then, Jesus just calmly reached out his hand, brought him into the boat, and they were arriving safely at the location. Yes, we can take our eyes off the Lord, and then what's going to happen? We're going to sink. We're going to sink. But if we keep our eyes on the Lord, he is the true one who can help us. Martin Luther, that great man of God from many years ago, said, God our Father has made all things depend on faith so that whoever has faith will have everything and he who does not have faith will have nothing. And that's really true. If you have faith in Christ, you have everything. If you don't have faith in Christ, you have nothing. You can have all the money in the world. You can have a great job, great marriage, great kids and everything. But if you don't have faith in Christ those things are going to start to crumble because something is going to happen and it's going to crumble. When things crumble in the life of a Christian, we know that the rock, Jesus Christ, doesn't crumble. And we're built on the rock, the solid rock. That's why our lives are stable because it's not built on the sinking sand of this world. I read a quote by a lady by the name of Hannah Whithall Smith and she said, sight is not faith. Hearing is not faith. Neither is feeling faith, but believing when we neither see, heal, or feel. Hear or feel. And everywhere it tells us that our salvation is by faith. Therefore, we must believe before we feel and often against our feelings if we are to honor God by our faith. You know, sometimes we sing that song and I love to sing it. I was hoping we might sing it today, but we didn't sing it. But it's moment by moment, I'm kept in His love. Moment by moment, I have life from above. Looking to Jesus till glory doth shine, moment by moment, O Lord, I am thine. You know, if I can just remember that this year as a goal, to look to Jesus one moment at a time and not think too much about what's going to happen in the future, that's all in His hand. But just live for Him today, focus on that, we will be so happy. Matthew Henry in his commentary said, All may look bright above Him, when all looks dark around him. And that is true. We can look above the circumstances and we see the brightness of his glory. If we look down at our circumstances into our own situation, it's dark around us. But we don't want to do that. I like what the Amplified Bible says of this verse. It says, but as for me, I will look to the Lord and confident in him, I will keep watch. 
You know, we can be confident in the Lord when we look to Him. And that is a blessing. So that's the first goal that we have for 2009. The first goal I've chosen to take is to look to the Lord. And as soon as I get my eyes off Him, say, wait a minute, Dean, you're looking in the wrong place. Because if I look to myself, it's going to, I'm going to be discouraged. If I look to my circumstances, I'm going to be depressed. But if I look to Christ, I will be delighted. And that's the whole gist of being victorious this year. Look to the Lord. Secondly, we are to wait for His will with patience. You know, waiting on God, I think, is the hardest thing that we have to do as Christians is to wait on Him. Because we want the answer right away and we want things to change right now. And we'd like to say, well, let's, 2009 is going to be a bountiful year. It's going to turn around and be 100%. This and this and this. It may be, it may not be. But whether it is, we wait on the Lord for His answers, for His timing. Because it's always the best. If you look over to Psalm, turn to Psalm 37, verses 5 to 7. This is such an encouraging word. Psalm 37, 5 to 7. Here the psalmist David writes, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. You know, one of the things that we do in, in waiting on the Lord or should do when waiting on the Lord is to rest in the Lord. That's a hard thing to do. You know, when you're concerned about something, the first natural impulse is to worry about it and start pacing the floor. Well, what am I going to do about that tomorrow? I don't know what's going to happen. That's the worst thing I've ever heard of. That's terrible. And we start agitating ourselves by just getting all upset. Instead, the first thing that we should do, as we said, is look to the Lord and then wait, wait, wait for Him to work it out. And so many times He's worked it out for me and I say, Lord, forgive me. How did I even worry about that? Look, you took care of it. I didn't even have to do anything or say anything. You took care of it, Lord. I waited and you took care of it. In Isaiah 25, 9, it says, and it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him. And He will save us. This is our Lord. We have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. You know, it's always a good thing as a Christian when you get a compliment at work or wherever you go. You're always happy. You're always happy. Why is it always happy? Don't you have any problems? And then we can share with them, yes, we have problems, but we also have a Savior. We have a Lord and Savior that takes us through it. That's why we can smile. That's why we can be happy. I love that little song I learned in a vacation Bible school years ago. It says, I can smile when I walk along the road. I can smile if I carry a heavy load because I walk with Jesus. And that's the reason for our happiness. That's the reason for our joy. It doesn't come naturally. It's by the Holy Spirit. He causes the joy to overflow in us. But the first question we asked was, okay, I'm willing to wait, but how long do I have to wait? Is it a day? I can, I'm good with that. I'll wait a day for it. It's worth waiting. A week. Okay, yeah, okay, I can wait a week. I can get it. I'm going to wait a week and then it's going to happen, Lord. Okay, I'm, I'm gung-ho. I'm with you. I'm still with you. A month. 
Well, a month, that's pretty a long time. But, you know, time goes pretty fast. I can ha- handle a month. Okay, a month, Lord, I can wait. A year? Oh, now you're really pushing me, Lord. <laughs> you're, you're really pushing me now. Would you mind, uh, Mike, if we uh, moved your wedding just out another year? Would that be okay? <laughs> we'll just move it one year future. You're waiting, right? So, no, it's going to take place. Believe me. On time. <laughs> On time. But suppose God says, I want you to wait 10 years or 20 years or 50 years. There have been people that have been asked for waiting for a long time in the Bible. And we've seen that God is always faithful. And the longer you wait, the more you appreciate what he gives us. If we got it right away, we wouldn't appreciate it nearly as much. In the midst of our waiting, he builds our faith. And that's why if we got it right away, our faith wouldn't grow. I like what that great man of God, Vance Hafner, once said. He said, simply wait upon him. For in so doing, we shall be directed, supplied, protected, corrected, and rewarded. Isn't that a great quote? If we simply wait upon him, we shall be directed, supplied, protected, corrected, and rewarded. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. Because his answer always comes at just the right time. But I read a very convicting story. And if you're like me, you're going to be very convicted by hearing this story. I'm going to read it to you. It really hit me really hard. Listen to this. He says, we are never to go faster than God leads. We are to stay in patience at the closed gate until he opens it. We must never force it open. Even for the fulfillment of his plainest promises, we must wait until the time has come. Many men wreck their lives and their destinies by determining to carry out their own plans. God has one great plan into which each life, as he designs it, fits perfectly. Keep your eye on the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Rest when the pillar rests. Move when the pillar moves. You can make the clock strike before the hour by moving the hands yourself, but it won't strike the correct hour. You can hurry the unfolding of God's providence by your own impatience, but if you do, you will mar the divine plan. And this got me. Stop meddling with the threads of your life as they come from the Lord's hand. Stop meddling. Every time you interfere, you simply make a flaw. Keep your hands off and let God weave as he pleases. You know, that hit me right between the eyes because I don't know about you. Some people are impulsive and and doing things and you want to do things right away. But the Lord says, if that door is closed, don't force it open. You know, what we want to do is when the door is closed, say, okay, let me get a crowbar and let me try to get it open. Let me break down that door and get in. But no, the Lord says, no, I'm going to provide it for you at the needed time. And as that expression goes, if God closes a door, he opens a window. And that is always true. And it's better for us to go through the window in God's will than to go through the front door outside of his will. Because God knows what's best for us. And I thought of four examples in Scripture that really mean waiting upon God. Abraham. God told him you're going to have a son, but he didn't tell him exactly when in the beginning. And he had to wait. And he had to wait and he had to wait. So what did he and and his wife do? They took matters into their own hands and they had Ishmael through Hagar. And that marred God's plan. It took it all out of whack. 
but God was still faithful and he had Isaac and his descendants became like the stars of the heavens and like the dust of the seashore. God's plan. But he had to wait. He had to wait and it became good. How about Mr. Jacob? He had to wait for a wife seven years. Seven years. Do you mind waiting, Michael, seven years? <laughs> it went now for... It went down from a year, but now we're up to seven years, Michael. Oh, boy. We're not going to make you wait seven. Okay, I promise that. But Jacob had to wait seven. And then after seven years, he got Leah. Oh, man, he was upset. And then he had to wait another seven. So now you're up to 14, Michael. I'm sorry, you have to wait 14 years now for Jamie. But she'll be so worth it by then. Okay, 14 years. <laughs> Oh, boy. <clears throat> but he waited 14 years and God gave him 12 sons and a daughter and all the nation of Israel. All because he waited. How about Joseph? Joseph had all these dreams in his life. He dreamed and had these great dreams. But he had to wait to, for the fulfillment of those dreams. He had to wait like some 18 years, I believe it was. For the fulfillment of his dreams, he became the prime minister of Egypt. And how about David? He was anointed by Samuel to be king over Israel. Did he get it right away? No, he had to wait for a long time before Saul finally was killed on Mount Gilboa. And then God says, now you have the kingdom. He had to wait. And so many times we have to wait. It's difficult. But God says, wait, because when you wait on me, You'll renew your strength. You'll mount up with wings like eagles. You'll walk and not be weary. You'll run and not faint because you're waiting on me. Another great man of God is Andrew Murray. And he said this, Be assured that if God waits longer than you could wish, it is only to make the blessing doubly precious. God waiting 4,000 years till the fullness of time ere He sent His Son. Our times are in His hands. He will avenge his elect speedily. He will make haste for our help and not delay one hour too long. Yes, God is good. In the Amplified Version, this part of the verse says, I will wait with hope and expectancy for the God of my salvation. You know, it's one thing when you have to wait and you have no choice but to wait. That's one thing. But for the Christian, for the child of God who's honoring God, it's a thing to choose to wait for God's best. Because so many times it's out there. That decision is out there. We could take it now. You can have it. Like Monty Hall. Remember the show, Let's Make a Deal. You can have what's behind the curtain. You can have what's in the box. Or you can have what's in the little box. You know, they it always give you a choice. And the person's really excited and they say, I want what's behind the curtain. And they open it up and it's 500 cans of tuna fish. Did I wait for that? But sometimes they open it up and they say they waited and they chose and they said, I'll take what's behind the curtain and they open up a brand new car. I remember him saying so many times. But you know, when you wait on God, it, does, it can be tuna fish or it can be a car. It could be whatever you're waiting on. It's going to be the best because he loves us the best and he's going to take care of us. I found a good acronym for the word rice, R-I-C-E. Resting in complete expectancy. Rice. Resting in complete expectancy. Because when we're resting, we're waiting for God's answer and we're expecting it to come and we're expecting it to be the best. That is what we do. 
And so that's my second goal this year. First of all is to look to the Lord, number one, in everything and be confident in Him. Not focus on myself, my circumstances, my problems, but focus on Jesus. And number two, wait on Him for His will, for His time. I love this verse in Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which shall be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near to you. You know, some of us, like myself included, are horse Christians. Horse Christians. Because we have to, the Lord has to put the bit and bridle on us to hold us back because we want to just run ahead. We want it now. We want to just do it. Just do it. We don't want to pray about it even very long. We just want to do it. And the Lord has to, whoa, Dean. Whoa, Trigger. Slow down. (laughs) And then there's the mule Christians. The mule Christian is the stubborn one. The Lord, he's prayed about it and he's stubborn though. He's not ready to do it yet. And the Lord has to knock him off his horse, get him going because the mule Christian is stubborn. Now we all have a little mule in us and we all have a little horse in us, I'm sure. But we tend to be one way or the other. And so the Lord loves us and he wants us to trust in him. So he puts the bit and bridle on us, not to to hurt us, but to control us in the right way. Yes, he's proven himself time and time again in our lives. And yet we forget. We forget. We're going through the trial. We forget, well, what did the Lord do for you in the other trial and this trial and that thing you went through? Don't forget. So the Lord always gives us reminders in his word. He's proven himself. So that's the second goal. Wait upon the Lord for his will. The third thing is to pray for his help with urgency. You know, one of the things we don't do as Christians today, and I mean as the church in whole, is to pray with passion and urgency. We pray and we leave it in the Lord's hands, but sometimes we don't have the sense of urgency where we need to really pray about something and be urgent about it because God has allowed something very major to happen. Like this little girl, Zoe, we prayed about. We need to pray urgently for her today and keep her on our hearts. And everyone who's going through some major things, we need to trust the Lord. That's why Paul told the Christians in 1 Thessalonians, he says, pray without ceasing. Now, it doesn't mean we pray all the time. We can't. We have to work. We have to do things. But we have to be in a spirit of prayer all the time. When we drive in the car or wherever we go. Some days, Don and Daphne, they drive to work the same way I do now because I go down the 580 and I connect with it that way. And Don says, he says, sometimes I see you in the morning, Dean, you're so focused. You're just, I'm honking at you and waving at you and you're just focused. Well, sometimes I'm praying and sometimes I'm listening to choir songs or whatever. I'm focused on that. But, you know, that's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to pray with persistence. He wants us to pray with urgency. And that's why Micah says here in this verse, my God will hear me. That's why he's saying all these negative things in chapter 7. He says, but my God will hear me. God's going to answer my prayer. David said in Psalm 4 and verse 1, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. David prayed with passion and urgency. And they're recorded for us. The Psalms are David's prayers put to music. They're really, really beautiful. You know, I think all of us, unless you've been living in a cave or a vacuum or whatever, have heard what happened last Thursday. The plane that landed in the Hudson Bay in New York. Unbelievable. They were telling us about it at work and I didn't get the whole story all at once. 
But the more I realized what happened is that was a miracle. Even the governor of New York said this was a miracle on the Hudson. This plane piloted by a man from Danville lost both engines, they say due to birds that got into the engines and it lost both engines and he brought that plane down with the softest landing and it landed right on the water. It didn't sink. It landed on the water. All the passengers got out on the wings and they were there and they were rescued. Not one was lost. Not one was seriously hurt. It reminded me of Paul's story of the shipwreck and how there were 276 passengers on that ship, including the Apostle Paul, and not one was lost. I can't wait to get to heaven or find out about it later maybe and find out there were Christians on that plane praying. I really would like to find out about that because that plane came in too good for it to be just by chance or by the skill of the pilot. He was a great pilot, believe me. I've heard about him. He's, a, he's an excellent pilot. He even does hang gliders. And so he's used to how you come in and so forth. But it was a miracle that they landed like that. And that is why we can see that God does his work and he does his miracles today. The next day when I got my paper out, it said, on a wing and a prayer. And they showed the people on the wings. Well, if you have the wings, you have to have the prayer because God answers the prayer. And I really believe that there had to be Christians on board that plane. John Newton once said about prayer, he says, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. And I was thinking about that. Is it ever possible for a Christian, you or I, to ever ask God for too much? Will he ever come to us and say, Dean, sorry, that was too much. I can't give you ten. I'll give you five or I'll give you eight or I'll give you nine. No, he says, I'll give you twelve. God says, I'm going to give you exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. That's why we can pray with earnestness and we can pray with passion and know that the Lord will, will come through for us. But I read a very interesting story and it's a very convicting one also, written by a man named Hugh Price Hughes. And it's entitled The City of Everywhere. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before, but it's really interesting. It says, a man arrived in a city one cold morning. He got off the train station like any other station with the crowds and the red caps all around. But everybody was barefooted. They wore no shoes. He noticed the cab driver was barefooted. Pardon me, he asked the driver. I was just wondering why you don't wear shoes. Don't you believe in shoes? Sure we do, said the driver. Why don't you wear them? Ah, that's the question, came the reply. Why don't we wear shoes? Why don't we? Then he went back to the hotel and the clerk and the bellboys and everybody was barefooted. And then he was having dinner in the restaurant and he noticed a, a nice looking young man sitting opposite him. He was barefooted too. And he said, I noticed that you aren't wearing any shoes. I wonder why. Don't you know about shoes? The man replied, of course I know about shoes then why don't you wear them? Ah, that's the question. Why don't we? Why don't we? After breakfast, he walked out into the street, into the snow. And he saw some people there and they were all barefoot. And he said to a man, he said, why don't you wear shoes? Don't you know about shoes? Oh, we know about shoes. You see that building over there? There's a man and we go to hear him talk all the time. He talks about how wonderful shoes are. And we like to listen to him and it's really great. But he says, well, why don't you wear the shoes? That's the question. And he says, 
Why don't we? Ah, that's the question. But the writer of this story says this, and listen to this. Don't we believe in prayer? Don't we know what it could mean to our lives? Then why don't we pray? Ah, that's the question. Why don't we pray? I was so convicted by that story. Isn't that a convicting story? The people believed in the shoes. They knew about the shoes. They talked about the shoes. They listened to the shoes. The story about shoes and how wonderful. But they didn't wear the shoes. It became of no value to them. We know about prayer. We learn about prayer. We talk about it. We have prayer meetings. But do we really pray as we should? As much as we should, as earnestly as we should. It's very convicting to me. May the Lord help us this year as having our third goal to pray more and to pray more earnestly and more passionately and more intensely because God is doing a great work in our lives. So these are the three goals. Number one, to look to the Lord and be confident in Him. Not to ourselves, not to our circumstances, not to our problems, to Him. And number two, to wait upon Him fully and completely, to watch and to wait, to know that God's going to answer in His time. He's going to do it in His time. We just have to wait. It's hard to wait, but Lord, give me the grace to wait. And then third, to pray. To pray with a sense of urgency and passion so that we can say with Micah here, Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Before we conclude this morning, I just want to read from the message. How many have heard about the message Bible? Isn't that a great version? If you haven't seen it, go to the Christian bookstore and take a look at it. Mike was reading it to us on some Friday nights and it's really been a blessing. So I went to the lighthouse and I found a copy of it. And it's a great version. Well, listen to what the message says. But me, I'm not giving up. I'm sticking around to see what God will do. I'm waiting for God to make things right. I'm counting on God to listen to me. May God encourage our hearts this morning to make these our goals and to really trust in Him for a good 2009. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Father, we're so convicted today. We don't pray enough. We don't read Your Word enough. We don't trust You enough, Lord. We don't have that kind of faith that we need to have so many times. But we pray, Lord, that these would be our goals this year with Your help that we will look to You And we will be encouraged because if we look anywhere else for our answers, we're not going to be encouraged. We're going to be discouraged. Help us to look to you and focus on you, Lord Jesus. And when we're tempted to look away from you, may we be convicted right away and repent of that and get back right with you. And Lord, we pray that you'll help us to be good at waiting. It's the hardest thing to do. Help us to wait for your perfect will, for your perfect timing. And we know, Lord Jesus, you're coming soon. Help us to wait. And while we're waiting, resting in you. And while we're resting in you, serving you until you come. And Lord, help us to be prayer warriors. Help us to pray not only here at church, but help us to pray at home in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, while we're going in the car or wherever we are. And help us to have a passion for prayer, Lord. Lord, we all need it. And so we commit this time to you. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, we pray today they will accept you, Lord Jesus, as the King of their lives, as their Savior, and be changed, be a new person, so that they can have this same joy and hope that we have in Christ. And so we commit this day to you and thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' name.